All right, well, today we continue our series Healer with part two of Healer, and we started off hot last week with the powerful reminder that for every hurt, God is our healer. For every hurt, God is our healing. For every hurt, God has healing. For every hurt that life throws at us and every pain that life throws at us, and there's, there's plenty and there's a lot, that for every bit of that, God is our healer. We said that God is the one direction. Our God is the one direction that we run to with every hurt, every pain, every need that we will ever have, knowing that he can provide, he can heal, he can restore everything. He is able to meet every need, so he's the one direction that we run with every need that we will ever have. And we said that because of that, it's time for us to stop looking to things that are not God in order to receive healing, in order to find healing that only God can actually bring. And so today and for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some, some, some aspects of healing that I think often get overlooked. And today, we're going to zoom in on the idea of emotional healing, the healing of our inner world. Now, here's what I know about this, uh, about you as you're watching, about our audience as, as you're watching. Um, when I say that we're going to talk about emotions today, about half of you just thought, oh, okay, get me out of here, turn it off, get it, get it, get it. Like talking about emotions, like, are you kidding me? Like, like I don't, I don't need to talk about emotions. Like, get me out of here. I don't want to hear about stuff like feelings and all that. Um, and, and if that's your response, let, let me just, let me just say this to you. If your natural response is, I don't need to hear that. I don't want to hear anybody talking about touchy feelings and all that kind of stuff. Like, I don't want to hear about that. If that's your natural response, let me just say, you probably need to hear the content that we're going to talk about more than you could possibly know. Others of you, the other half of the room, you're like, yes, finally someone's going to talk about emotional health. It's about time the church tackles emotional health. Others of you might be like, okay, like, well, I'm interested. I'm, like, I'm intrigued by the idea of, of emotional healing or the healing of our inner world. But like, like, why would a church talk about emotions? Like, that's not really like a, a biblical, like emotions aren't really something that is in the Bible, right? Like, uh, like emotions aren't in the Bible. And, and to that, I would actually say that emotions are all over the Bible. In fact, I would dare to tell you that if you read the Bible and you don't see emotions on the pages of Scripture, you're probably not reading the Bible and seeing everything that you should see about the Bible. Because here's the truth. The Bible is the recorded stories of real people dealing with real events and handling real emotions. The Bible is the recorded stories of real people dealing with real events and handling real emotions. From the very beginning right up to and including Jesus and his followers, the Bible is full of stories of real people dealing with real life events and, re and, and revealing very real emotions in the face of what they were experiencing, what they were facing, and what they were up against, and the joy and the celebration and the pain and the difficulty of life. There's fear, there's envy, there's jealousy, there's shame. There's desire, there's despair, there's abandonment, there's favoritism, there's betrayal, there's depression, there's anxiety, there's joy, there's love, there's intimacy, there's vengeance, there's rejection, there's frustration, there's anger, there's disappointment, there's rage, there's inadequacy, there's despair, there's feelings of being overwhelmed, there's loneliness, there's grief, there's selfishness, there's sorrow, there's lust, there's hatred. There are all kinds of feelings displayed on the pages of Scripture, that every good emotion, every negative emotion, you can find displayed on the pages of our Scripture because the Bible is the recorded stories of real people dealing with real events and handling real emotions and real reactions. So it should be no surprise that when it comes to our emotions, there's an incredible verse that comes to us from the book of Proverbs that gives us a great starting point for understanding and bringing health to, and healing to the inner world of our emotions. Here's what it says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Here's what it says. Above all else, guard your heart. 
Matter of fact, if you're watching right now, maybe just would you type guard your heart in the, in, the, in the chat bar right now. Above all else, guard your heart for everything that you do flows from it. Now, be, be, there's a fascinating verse here because it, because it says heart, we don't automatically recognize this as a verse about our emotions. But in the way that Solomon and the people of his day thought about the word heart, in that day, to say heart was to talk about the place where your thoughts and your feelings and your reactions and everything internally happened. Like that everything that would come out of you, like it actually originated in the heart, your words, your thoughts, your, your intentions, your ideas, your feelings, all of that began in the heart. And so when Solomon says, guard your heart, he's really saying you should pay most careful attention to what is happening in you, what's happening in you, in your internal world, in your feelings and your emotions. Pay attention to your responses to what happens around you. And he doesn't just say you should pay attention because it's important. Solomon somehow had the wisdom to recognize 3,000 years ago this important truth that everything you do outwardly flows from what happens inwardly. That everything you do outwardly flows from what happens inwardly. In other words, everything on the outside is affected by what's happening inside. If what's happening on the inside is broken or unhealthy, it's impossible for what's happening outside to be healthy. So Solomon says, guard your heart for everything of life flows from it. And Solomon understood that while all of our emotions are valid and you feel what you feel and those feelings are real, that while all of that is true, that not everything that happens in our inner world is actually healthy for us. So it's possible that some of us have been living with some unhealthy emotional baggage and what's been happening inside has made its way to the surface because let's be honest, it always does and it's making everything about your life and your relationships and your career and your workplace unhealthy in the process. And for you to experience the healing that God has for you across your life, you actually need some healing. Like I at times need healing in my inner world, in the world of my emotions. And for some of us, this may just be the very first time that we've realized that there may be some things going on inside of us and that the unhealthy going on inside is actually causing damage on the outside. But the good news is that God wants to bring healing to everything. And because God wants to be the healer for every area of our lives, he also wants to be the healer of our inner world, of our emotions, about the inner workings of our emotional world. And so he wants to do that as well. And so he wants to bring healing to the stuff that's been damaged outside. And he wants to bring healing to the source. He wants to bring healing to your inner world. He wants to bring healing to your emotions so that what happens on the inside is healthy and brings and builds health throughout our lives. So today, what I want to do is I want to talk about four things that God, I think, wants to use, four ideas and four things that I think God wants to use to bring emotional healing in our lives. And the first idea is simply this, that the physical and the emotional are deeply connected, that the physical world and the emotional world are deeply connected, that what happens that we put in our body, what we do to our body ultimately affects our emotional world in a big, big way. This is an incredibly helpful piece of information to understand. Um, I, like, I, like, I take a lot of what Jordan Peterson says and writes with a grain of salt, but in his book, 12 Rules for Life, um, Jordan, who's a clinical psychologist, talks about the first things that he does with any clients seeking help for, for, for clinical depression. He wrote that the first two things that he addresses have far more to do with physical schedule and, and habits, but these two physical things massively affect the emotional internal world. Here's what he wrote that we can do to eliminate negative emotions. He said, number one is to stabilize your sleep and wake cycle. 
You wake up and go to sleep at the same time each day. That as much as it's within your power, you wake up and you go to sleep at the same time each day. Here's what he said about this. The systems that that mediate negative emotion are tightly tied to the properly cyclical circadian rhythms of our sleep. That's like saying when you go to sleep and when you wake up at the same time, so you set the alarm for the same time every day, you go to sleep at this, around the same time every night. That when it's, as much as it's within your, within your control, when you do that, you help the systems that, neg- that mediate and, and oversee negative emotions. This is how we sometimes get control of or regulate our emotions. He said the second thing is you schedule your eating times. You eat at the same times every day. He said eating a healthy diet on a routine helps to regulate the insulin production system. And the insulin production has a great system has a great deal to do with how our with some of the emotional systems within our body. And when I read this, like when I read this for the first time, like I, it was a huge wake up call to me. I actually read this, funny enough, three weeks into the earliest part of the pandemic lockdowns. And, and I had found myself tired, stressed, quick-triggered, quick-tempered, irritable, just all over the place emotionally. And I thought that all, I was all of those things because of the craziness of everything happening around us. And that was part of the thing. But amidst all of the craziness happening, my sleep schedule had gotten completely lost. I, I, was, I was working so many hours that I would just figure, well, I'll wake up when I wake up in the morning. I'm sometimes working until midnight and I'll, I'll just wake up when I wake up. And so, I'll, in fact, most of the times I would just wake up when our girls woke up, which sometimes was 10, sometimes was six, sometimes was eight, but my sleep schedule was just all over the place. And so, so my, my sleep schedule had gotten crazy. And instead of having any kind of regular eating schedule, I would work until I finished some massive, massive portion of work and then eat something that I could make and eat quickly and then get back to work on the next massive portion of work stuff. My schedule did not exist. My routine did not exist. But what, what I was doing physically had no structure, had no schedule, had no routine. And what, what, when, I, when I read this, it was a, such a wake-up call to me to go, Oh my goodness, I think, I think if I actually decided that I'm not going to let my schedule control me, but I'm going to control my schedule and I'm going to you know, be, be scheduled and be a little bit more controlling of how, of how I work and when I go to sleep and when I eat and all these things, I think this might actually help. And what I found over the next few weeks is that my irritability went way down and my quick trigger went way down and my quick temper went way down. And all of those things that I was feeling internally were not as severe because I was finally getting, getting some control over the systems that help the body regulate emotions. And I, like, and, 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 and I, I just remember thinking, wow, this is incredibly helpful. Who knew that the physical world was so tied to the emotional world? And honestly, like, as I, as I was thinking about sharing this with, with, with you all today, like, I remember thinking like, well, that's, it's, it's helpful, but I don't know that it's, it's biblical. Like, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel spiritual. Like, I, I, I don't know that I see it on the pages of scripture, except that you do. Except that you do. Here's, here's some things that when you pay attention to what God did and how God instructed people and, and how God you know, formed the world, and even in the, from the story of creation all the way to Jesus, like you see this pattern of rest and, and, and caring about the things of the physical body because God, our Heavenly Father, knows what our body needs and what our body needs to, to ha- have a healthy inner world working within us. Here's, here's a couple examples in, uh, in Scripture of, of God establishing the priority of rest and God caring about what we put into our bodies. <coughs> Here, here's the thing. God established a pattern of rest in creation. He worked for six days, took a day of rest. He worked, took a day of rest. It was a schedule. He formed a pattern of rest in creation. God established a pattern of rest for his people in the Old Testament law that every week there was to be a Sabbath. There was to be a Sabbath where 
you do nothing. God established a healthy dietary directions and guidelines for Israel in the Old Testament law. In other words, what you put in your body, I want what you put in your body to be good for your body. Elijah, one of the Old Testament prophets, in the middle of a manic bipolar episode, which is about the only way to describe what Elijah experienced when he went on from Mount Carmel to another mountain and he was screaming at God and he was angry at God and he was frustrated with God and he felt all alone. Before God spoke to him, God caused him to fall asleep. God caused him to rest. He was so wired, so like so out of it that he needed to sleep before he could hear from God. Jesus established a very clear pattern of work, rest, work, rest, work, rest. Go be around the crowds. Go do the work of the ministry. Then go find some place to withdraw and to rest. Paul instructed Timothy in the, in the, in the, in the letters that he wrote to Timothy. Paul instructed to Timothy to drink some wine or some grape juice, depending on how you want to translate that, to drink something, to put the right thing into his body, to help his stomach, to get his stomach back in order so that the rest of his life could get back in order, so that he could get back to effective ministry that God instructed, you know, instructed Timothy through Paul to do the right thing for his physical body so that his so that his emotional and spiritual life could be right as well. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Your heavenly Father who created the human body knows how the body is wired and put together and works together. God, your heavenly Father, knows that rest and diet are tied to our emotions and our inner world. So it should be no surprise that our heavenly Father tells us to pay attention to what goes into our body and to make sure that we get the proper rest so that our body has time to heal and to regulate itself well. So here's a few things to pay attention to. Pay attention to your water intake. Make sure that you're getting the right amount of water each day. You might go like, is that a spiritual thing? Yes, it can be a very spiritual thing to pay attention to your water intake. Helps your cellular, helps you on the cellular level, helps you on every level to, to re regulate negative emotion. Number two is to pay attention to caffeine and other substances that play with your nervous system, that wreak havoc on your nervous system because coffee and sodas and, and other substances that, that we, we know what plays with the nervous system. We know what affects the nervous system, what, what, what causes harm to the nervous system. And if you're putting a lot of that stuff in your body, you may be doing harm to your body that's also doing harm to your emotional world. Number three is to go to sleep the same time each night. Number four is to wake up the same time each morning. And number five is to eat your meals at the same time each each, each day. That, that at the end of the day, we want to make sure that we take control of our schedule, that our, con our schedule is not controlling us. And, and, and in the process, we gain control over our emotional world at the same time. We want to pay attention to the physical because the physical and the emotional are incredibly closely tied. The second idea that I want to share with us today that I think might just be the beginning of bringing healing to our emotional world is simply this, that our, our emotions are a great thermometer, but they're terrible thermostats. That emotions are great thermometers, but they're terrible thermostats. Let's be honest, some of us, we don't want to hear about emotions because when we've heard people talk about emotions in the past, it's been, well, you follow your feelings. You're not emotionally connected if you don't, if you don't follow and know your feelings. But can I tell you something? People who understand their emotions in a healthy way don't always follow their feelings because they know that feelings are not all created equal, that not all feelings are worth following right? People who handle their emotions well and understand their emotions properly are acutely aware that, n that n not all feelings are worth following, but they are worth understanding and being aware of, that they tell us what's happening and they, that they tell us what, how we're responding, what our natural response is to different things happening around us, but they shouldn't tell us what 
to do. That's what I mean when I say it's a great thermometer. It gives us a reading of how we're responding, what our reaction is, how our body is responding, what our emotional response is, but they don't tell us what to do. A thermometer tells you what's happening. A thermostat tells the temperature what to be. And we want to make sure that our, that, our, that our feelings and that our emotions, that we understand them as thermometers, but never, never approach them as thermostats. We, we, we understand our feelings. We don't always follow our feelings. A thermostat says, this is what I feel, and my feelings drive my actions. A thermometer says, this is what I feel. I'm glad that I'm aware of my feelings because they reveal something important, but I don't have to follow my feelings. In Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, there's this incredible verse that talks about something so important when it comes, I think, to our emotions and our feelings. It says this, it says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. In other words, the person who always follows their feelings is the same as a city whose walls are broken down. There is no defense. There is no, there's no ability to protect itself. We end up in some terrible places because we, we have ended up following our feelings. But, Paul, but, but Solomon wanted to make sure that we understood the value of self-control. So here's the goal. Here's the goal when it comes to our understanding, understanding our emotions but not following our emotions all the time. The goal is to be self-aware and self-controlled. To be self-aware and self-controlled to be self-aware and self-controlled. In other words, I'm aware of what's happening in me and I'm in control of where that leads me. I'm, in I'm, I'm aware of what's happening in me and I'm in control of where that leads me. In other words, like what this could look like is that I'm aware that something has made me angry. My internal response is anger. I'm self-aware, but I'm also self-controlled, and my internal anger doesn't have to lead to outward anger. Does that make sense? I'm self-aware, and I'm self-controlled. I'm aware, or it could be, I'm aware that I've had a few weeks of little interaction with people, and that has left me feeling lonely. That's I'm self-aware of my internal response. My, my emotional response is loneliness. But I won't let my loneliness cause me to make reckless decisions to allow the wrong people influence in my life. I'm self-aware and I'm self-controlled. I'm self-aware and I'm self-controlled. That in the area of our feelings, in the area of our emotions, we need to be self-aware, know what's happening, understand what's happening inside us, understand what our natural responses and our reactions are, but also be self-controlled that we don't always follow our natural response. We don't always follow our feelings to wherever they want to take us. Now, the third thing that I help, I think the third step of this, the third thing, idea that I want to make sure we understand is a really, really big idea that I think builds off of the first two, and it's simply this, to pay attention to what comes out when squeezed. To pay attention to what comes out when you're squeezed. To pay attention to what happens and what comes out of you when life squeezes you or when life bumps you. And let's be honest, like life squeezes everyone at some point. Point. And let's be honest, over the last 19 months, life has squeezed all of us. Life has squeezed all of us. Everyone has had some sort of pressure on them. Everyone has been bumped by life or by others. Everyone has had some inconvenience to deal with. But even before the last 19 months, this is something that life does to everyone. Life squeezes everyone. And let's be honest, most of us don't like the stuff that comes out of us when life squeezes us. 
Sometimes when we're bumped, anger and rage come out. Sometimes anxiety comes out. Sometimes fear comes out. Sometimes depression seems to rear its head and we actually withdraw from everything when we get squeezed. Sometimes tears flow out of us when we're squeezed by life. Most of us, we don't like what comes out of us when we're bumped. Now, today I actually brought some friends with me. I brought some friends with me to help us understand this principle. I brought some friends, and I say friends because, let's be honest, these people have been good to me across the course of a lifetime. I have with me a bottle of ketchup, I have with me a bottle of mustard, and I have a bottle of Hershey's syrup. Now, I brought these friends to help us, to help me understand something that happens when, when we get squeezed. Now, if I squeeze, let me, let's start with ketchup. If I squeeze this bottle of ketchup, if I take it and I squeeze this bottle of ketchup, let me ask you a question. What's going to come out of this bottle of ketchup when I squeeze this bottle of ketchup? Ketchup. Hey, look, you got an answer right in church, and the answer wasn't Jesus. Right. If I squeeze this bottle of ketchup, ketchup is going to come out of this bottle of ketchup. Now, let's, let's see if you can get two in a row right. If I squeeze this bottle of yellow mustard, what's going to come out of this bottle of yellow mustard? The answer is yellow mustard. Yes, you're absolutely right. If I squeeze the bottle of yellow mustard, yellow mustard is going to come out. Now, let's see if you can be 100% right on, on three questions in a row. What do you think is going to come out when I squeeze, if I squeeze this bottle of Hershey's chocolate syrup? The answer is Hershey's chocolate syrup is going to come out when I squeeze the bottle of Hershey's chocolate syrup. Look at you. You got 100% right in church on a Sunday. That is fantastic. You are doing amazing. You've never gotten all that, that many questions right before. Now, let me ask you a question that, you, that, that, I, that I think is a, is a fairly obvious answer, but, but some of us might miss this. Why is it that when I squeeze the bottle of ketchup, ketchup comes out, and when I squeeze the bottle of mustard, mustard comes out, and when I squeeze the bottle of Hershey syrup, syrup comes out? Why is that what comes out when I squeeze those bottles? The answer is that's what comes out because that's what's in there. Ketchup comes out of the ketchup bottle because that's what's in there. Mustard comes out of the mustard bottle because that's what's in there. Chocolate syrup comes out of the chocolate syrup bottle because that's what's in there. So let me ask you another question. Why is it that when you're squeezed, why is it that that stuff comes out of you, all that stuff that you don't like, why is it that that's what comes out of you when you're squeezed? The answer is the same. That stuff comes out of you because it's in you. What comes out of you comes out of you because it's in you. It's what's in there. The reason anger comes out is because anger is in you. The reason jealousy comes out is because jealousy is in there. The reason greed comes out is because greed is in there. The reason insecurity comes out is because insecurity is in there. The reason that all of that stuff comes out when you're squeezed by life is because it's in there because it's in there because it's in you like it's in me the reason all that negative emotion comes pouring out of us is because unfortunately it's in us and we think the squeeze put it in there and the reason it's coming out is because of the squeeze but the reason it comes out is because it was in there in the first place now 
Here's the thing. We want to pay attention to what comes out of us when we're squeezed. And here's the thing. When our stuff comes out of us because life squeezes, our natural reaction is to clean up the mess that was made and to do our best to act like that was out of character and to get all of our ducks back in a row as, and as quickly as possible, get back to life before the squeeze, to clean up the ketchup and clean up the mustard and clean up the syrup and clean up the anger and clean up the jealousy and clean up the insecurity and act like that was out of character and, and just to get back to like life as normal without the squeeze. But if you get back to life before the squeeze and you forget what came out of you when you were squeezed, you will have missed an opportunity. And I will have missed an opportunity for emotional healing because that unhealthy stuff that came out of you, it's still in you. And so here's some great advice. Here's some incredibly important advice. Don't forget what's in there after cleaning up what came out of there. That like you know, when we're like, oh, let's clean that up, clean that, clean up that mess, clean up that mess, clean up that mess. Whew, now we just get to no no no. Don't forget what's in there after cleaning up what came out of the after you've cleaned up the mess, after you've apologized, after you tried to get back to life before the squeeze, after you've calmed down, you need to look at what came out of you and address it at the source. Because here's what's true. If you clean up the mess, but you don't address what came out of you, what came out of you will come out of you again the next time that you are squeezed. When you're squeezed and you see that stuff come out of you, this is an opportunity for God to bring healing to your inner world and to the inner workings of your emotional world. And I'll just say this, chances are pretty good that some of the greatest healing that God wants to do in you will be accomplished as you address the things that came out the last time and the next time that you are squeezed. And as we address the unhealthy stuff that's in us and comes out of us, that's where God may want to begin and do the biggest work of healing that he has. And while we're addressing the things that came out of us, this might be the best thing that we can do. The fourth idea that I want to help us understand today is that you might need to go back in order to go forward. To go back to go forward and go back in order to go forward. See, here's the thing. So many of us, when something comes out of us, we ask the question, well, where did that come from? Would you type that in the comments right now? Where did that come from? Where did that come from? And here, have you, have you ever asked that? I mean, that's a brilliant question. That's a fantastic question. The problem is most of us ask it and we say it out loud or we say it in our head and then we move on without, any, without giving it any actual thought. But here's the thing. As long as I don't know where it came from, I probably won't find emotional healing for it. If we, if we would actually pay attention to that question until we find an answer for it, perhaps we can find healing for our heart and for our emotional well-being. For all of us, there's a reason that stuff comes out of us at specific times and under specific conditions, but it doesn't come all out all of the times. There's a reason that certain things trigger certain emotional responses for us. There's a reason that sometimes you do certain things in response to certain things that you don't do all of the time. It's because something got triggered inside of you. Something got triggered in your emotional world and it brought something out of you that doesn't normally come out of you. And so something that's interesting was, po it was pointed out to me a few weeks back by a friend that I think carries incredible weight in this regard about going back in order to go forward, that we can't really go forward until we actually go back and address what may be triggering some unhealthy things today in our lives. In the Old Testament, we're told the stories of a family, a, a, a series of, of men that were sons of sons of sons of sons named Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and his sons. They're, 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 again, they're the son of a son of a son of a son. And a lot of their stories are blessings. I mean, like 
Abraham was, was told by God that you will be a blessing to the whole world. I will bless the whole world through you. And there's tons of stuff in their stories that is nothing but blessings. But there are some portions of their stories that are actually about negative things that are passed on from one point of life into the next point of life, into the next point of life, from generation to generation to generation. And if they had been willing to go back, to go for, to address things at the source so that they, they didn't have to be lived out today, they could have avoided some serious, serious hurt and pain within their families. Let me just give you a few examples. Let's work backward for the first one. Let's work backward from Joseph and his sons. When they're in, jo in Egypt, Joseph brings his two sons to his father to be blessed. Joseph presents his favorite son in the place of blessing for his father to bless him, but his father blesses the other son. And Joseph is mad at his father for not giving the blessing to his favorite son. Well, let me ask you a question. Where did Joseph learn favoritism in the family. Where did Joseph learn favoritism in the family? He learned it from his father. He learned it from his father, from his father Jacob, who Joseph was his favorite son. So Joseph played out what he had seen his father play out in the generation before him. Well, where do you think Jacob learned favoritism? You want to guess where Jacob learned favoritism? Jacob learned favoritism because in his family growing up, Jacob was his mother's favorite while his brother Esau was his father's favorite. Interesting. You want to guess where Isaac learned favoritism and Isaac's family learned favoritism? They learned it from dad Abraham, from their father Abraham, who favored Ishmael while her mother Sarah favored Isaac. Again, this was like, imagine if at some point along the way, someone had had the courage to say, you know what? This has been a pattern in my family for years and years and years of favoritism of children. And I don't think it's healthy. Like we all hated it, but then we passed it along. Imagine, imagine if one of them had had the courage to say, hey, you know what? We're going to examine where this comes from, and we're going to break the cycle here and now so that not another generation has to endure, and it will not play out in my family. Let me give you one other example from this, from this same family. Abraham once lied about his wife being his wife in order to keep himself out of a sticky situation. Now, that's, that's kind of an odd thing to do. I have never had to lie about Jalen being my wife in order to keep myself safe. I, I've never had to do that, but that's something that Abraham did. You want to know who else did that? Abraham's son Isaac with his wife Rebekah, he in the exact same way in the same country lied about his wife being his wife in order to keep himself out of a sticky situation. You want to know who else, who else had some pretty big dysfunction in their marriage that resulted from, from dishonesty? Isaac's son Jacob who ended up married to two sisters because of dishonesty. And by the way, you want to talk about playing favorites. One of those two wives was his favorite, which again, if you have a favorite wife, you have messed up in multiple ways. This is the same thing. There's something that was carried out in this generation that was carried out in another generation that ultimately ended up playing out in another generation. And if someone had had the courage to go back and say, hey, you know what? I know dad did this, but I'm not going to do that. I know this is how my parents reacted, but that's not how I'm going to react. Like, I know that that's our family's natural response when we're put into sticky situations is to lie. But what has lying ever accomplished good in the context of our family? Nothing. You have to go back to go forward. Again, here's the thing. What you don't deal with from the past gets repeated today. What you don't deal with from the past gets repeated today. Today. So we need to go back in order to go 
forward, healthy. We need to go back in time, go back in our families of origin, go back in our family history, go back in our personal history, and ask a bigger question than where did that come from? We need to ask, why did those events trigger that response? Why did those events, why did that squeeze, why did that pressure trigger that emotion? Is there something from my past that keeps getting replayed today? Let's go. For a lot of us, for a lot of us, it's going to be examining emotional habits that, that come from the family that we grew up in, right? Because currently we're reacting exactly how our parents reacted to similar circumstances. While we may not have liked their response, here's what's true about you and here's what you know about yourself. Their response became your default response until you choose something else. Until you choose something else or until you choose something better, the the response that you saw growing up will become your default response to similar circumstances. For some of us, there were events in high school and college that were so life-changing so life-changing. Some, some may have been good, but a lot of, let's be honest, they were, they were, some of, a lot of the ones that we're talking about, they were rough experiences that when anything remote, remotely sounds or smells like it, I mean, like that, we, like we go into an emotional tailspin and we start making decisions that we don't understand. And we start saying things that, that, that don't sound like us. And we start making decisions that we just go, why would I do that right now? because there's something that triggered an emotional response for you. And until you go back and understand what causes that, you may keep making terrible decisions and letting your mouth run and letting your anger get the best of you because you don't understand what is happening. For a lot of us, there's there's some trauma in our past and we've moved on and we got back to life as normal as quick as possible, but we never swift sifted through the shrapnel and the damage that actually had been done. And from the time to time, we just melt down and we don't know why, but it comes from that trauma that never was fully healed for many of us. The most healthy thing that we can do when it comes to our emotional life is to go back in order to go forward. See, here's the thing. As long as you don't know where healing is needed, chances are you won't find the healing that you need. As, as long as you don't know where the point of uh, was broken, as long as you don't know where the brokenness occurred, chances are you won't find the healing that you need for your inner world and for the inner world of your emotions. So it's time to go back because until you go back and until I go back, until we go back, you can't really go forward in a healthy way. You can attempt to move forward and, and, you'll, and you'll walk forward because time doesn't stand still and life doesn't stand still. And so you will be moving but you won't be moving forward or you'll be moving forward. And, and until you go back and address the things that need healing, you'll go forward with all of those triggers. You, triggers. You'll go forward with all of that emotional baggage. You'll go forward with all of those unhealthy emotional responses that are just your natural default response. It's only when you're willing to go back that you can go forward healthy, that you can go forward healed, that you can go forward better that you can go forward in control of your emotions, that you can go forward aware and in control of your emotions, that you, can, that you can know what comes out of you when you're squeezed and you can actually address it, that you go back in order to go forward. And that's ultimately what God wants for you and what God wants for me, for us to go forward healthy, to go forward healed, to go forward 
whole, to go forward emotionally healed and emotionally whole so that what happens inside of us is a blessing to us and a blessing to the world around us and a blessing to our relationships and a blessing to our careers and makes us better and stronger and healthier. He wants us to receive the emotional healing that so many of us so desperately need to receive the healing of our inner worlds because for every hurt, God is our healer. For every hurt, God is our healer. And he's the healer of our emotions, our heart, everything that we feel, everything that goes on inside of us. He is the healer available for you today. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you are our healer. God, thank you for the hurt that happens inside of us. Thank you that you're our healer. God, that you're the healer of our emotions. You're the healer of our feelings. God, you're the healer. You're the one who wants to bring healing to this area of our lives that is so important. God, thank you that for the area that happens inside of us but flows out of us, God, thank you that you want to bring healing to the source. So God, today I pray that you'd give us wisdom to know what to do with what we just heard. God, to, God, to know the parts of us, to know the areas of our lives where there is some healing. God, give us the wisdom to actually go back in order to go forward. God, give us the wisdom to keep paying attention to the things that come out of us when we're squeezed so we can actually address what's happening inside us. God, give us wisdom to know what to do with the idea that our physical and our emotional are, tie, are tied more deeply than we could ever really imagine. God, give us wisdom to know what to do with all that. And God, give us courage to actually do something about it. God, we want you to bring healing. And so God, if you're gonna bring healing in one of these ways, we ask that you would do that in Jesus' name. God, give us the courage to keep walking toward you and to keep following you and keep letting you do what you wanna do in us and and what you want to do through us. God, we love you. We pray this all in Jesus' strong name. Amen.